I need a Bible. <laughs> That'll help me out. And we'll, we'll jump into the sermon. Father, we thank you that you have rescued us. That we can sing of the fact that, that through Christ we have been redeemed, we have been saved, we have been restored out of sin and out of slavery and out of bondage. Father, we thank you for this. Father, we ask that this morning you would teach us how to worship you. That we would praise you and, and rejoice in the things that you have done for us. Father, we, we ask that you would make uh, joy our strength. That as we overflow with joy, we would rejoice and we would worship you passionately and from the heart. So, Father, we pray that you would send your spirit, that he would open our eyes and ears to, to hear and to see the things that are of you. And Father, would you change us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so uh, we are in a series called Everyone Needs a Friend. Everyone Needs a Friend. And today we are looking at how everyone needs a certain friend. Actually, everyone needs a priest. Everyone needs a priest. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at Ezra today. Ezra the priest. And that might seem a little odd in a Protestant church to be talking about how everyone needs a priest. But uh, is there, there's something there. So, first of all, uh, this can, might, might sound like everyone needs a priest as in everyone needs a uh, needs a pastor. Everyone needs like, oh, everyone needs me. No, that is not what I'm meaning by everyone needs a priest. Uh, I'm not called a priest for a reason because we already have a great high priest. We have Jesus Christ, the, the true priest. And what does a priest do? A priest helps us to worship God. A priest leads us in the worship of God. He, he brings God and man together and helps man to worship and stand in the presence of God. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus mediates that relationship. He helps us to worship. And so, in some sense, this sermon is going to be about the fact that everyone needs Jesus as their great high priest. But there's a second sense in which everyone needs a priest, and, and that's where this sermon is about all of you guys and me, that we together are priests in the kingdom of God that we are actually responsible for helping each other worship the Lord. Helping each other glorify God, which is good because that's actually what we were made to do. We were made to glorify and worship Him. And so, you are called to be priests. You are called to help one another worship God. And so today we're going to be looking at how you can do that. How you can follow Jesus, the great high priest, and how you can help one another worship him. Alright? That's the plan. And to do that, we're going to be looking at a specific priest from the Old Testament. We're looking at Ezra. Ezra the priest. And Ezra, doing his, his kind of priestly duties, he's going to show us three things that the priest does. Three things. First, the priest, he leads the people in the worship of God through the word of God. He leads people through the word of God. Second, he empowers worship through the joy of God. The joy is actually what empowers worship. And finally, he kind of personalizes worship. He makes it more tangible and relatable by showing us the grace of God. That's what the priest does. So we're going to be talking about three things. The word of God, the joy of God, and the grace of God. 
word joy and grace. And we're going to see that in Nehemiah 8. In Nehemiah 8. So let's go ahead and turn to Nehemiah. Now this is a hard book to find. So if it takes you a little while, I understand. It is not a minor prophet, which is uh, the hard part. Uh, we're going to be on page 404, if you're looking for it, in the Black Bible. 403, 404. All right. 403, Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 18. <laughs> More page flipping this time. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That popular book, Nehemiah. All right. Uh, read with me, Nehemiah 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and all who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood uh, a bunch of guys. We're, <laughs> we're not going to say those. Uh, that's fine. Uh, verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And a number of priests helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law, that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof, and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, in the gate at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who were, had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in booths from, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day of the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. All right. A longer passage. 
Thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> uh, so, we want to learn to be a priest. To be a priest and to, to see how Jesus is our great high priest. So let's jump in with our first point. A priest, he draws people to worship through the word of God. Look at verse 1. So all the people, they gather as one man into the square of the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. And all the people who could understand listened to it. Alright, so we, we need a little context in this. Uh, most of you aren't super familiar with Nehemiah. So what, what's the context? All the people, uh, namely of Judah, had been dispersed throughout the Middle East. They've been cast throughout the Middle East uh, because uh, foreign nations had come and, and basically still taken them from their land, stolen them from the land, and cast them out and spread them out. But the Lord, the Lord, in his great mercy and in his grace, he brought the people back. He actually convinced Cyrus to send the people back. And here they are gathered together once again. So it's been a long time since they've been together, and they take advantage of it, the first thing they do is they, they worship. They worship together as one man. They come together uh, to worship the Lord uh, in a way that is, is truly joyful that they couldn't do before. And what do they do when they get there? They have Ezra the priest read from the law of Moses. He reads from the law of Moses. Now, what does that mean? Um, you might think that that means that he like read every commandment one after the other as the worship service. That's not what he did. That's not the law of Moses. The law of Moses is, is the whole first five books of the Bible. All right? So it's, it's a little less dreary than that. There's some, there's some fun stories in there. So he's expounding the, the fall of man, Noah, Moses, the Exodus. And as the people are hearing, they're seeing their God. They're hearing about the, the redemption of their God, the power of their God, the holiness of their God. And we have to remember that these people hadn't heard from the law and heard from God's word together in a long time. And there's a sense in which uh, it seems like things are getting a little fuzzy in their minds. That they've been alienated from the worship and alienated from the word so that they, they're not seeing God as clearly as they used to. And we see that as we get disconnected from the word, we get disconnected from God in a sense. That he starts to get a little fuzzy. And God becomes a sort of a caricature. We kind of amplify the parts that we like. We minimize the parts that we don't. And we start to get a God that it's kind of our own construction. And that's where the people, through Ezra, are being, are being refocused. They're seeing their God clearly and maybe for some of them for the first time. Not kind of through, through secondary means, through stories, but through the word itself. And they're greatly blessed by it. And we see that there's a deep connection between the worship of God and his word. That we can't know God, we can't worship God, except through his word. That that's how he reveals himself. That's how we know him. 
And as a result, the people, when they hear this word, they receive it with great reverence and honor and, and excitement even. Verse 3. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. All right, they put up with a really long sermon in the presence of all who could listen. And, and we see Ezra, he's lifted up. That as a bearer of the word, he is, he is honored and he has kind of his posse with him to back him up. And they're hearing the word of God. And how do they receive it? Look at verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now that's how you read the word. That they're encountering God himself through the word. They're seeing his holiness. They're seeing his power. They're seeing his redemptive acts through history. They're seeing his commandments and seeing, connecting the commandments of God to the character of God. They're seeing that, oh, a, a God who hates lies is a God who is honest and who is truthful. A God who hates adultery is a God who is endlessly faithful. And they're coming before the Lord and seeing him and rejoicing to get to see him in that way. Now that, that's what a good priest does. A good priest brings the word to people that they can see God for who he is. And he doesn't just do that. Look at, look at verse 8. They read from the book from the law of God clearly and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So they're not just throwing out the word. They're connecting the dots. They're showing that, that the word and worship are intimately connected. And helping people to worship him through it. If we're going to be priests, we need to bring the word to one another. And, and love getting into the word together. That that's actually the tool we use that we might worship God. And fulfill our role in that sense. There's a certain beauty to getting into the word together. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Notice how the people receive this. Notice how they receive it. At first, at first, they're, they're standing. They're standing and saying, amen, amen. That's true, that's true. But then the people kind of start getting, getting lower and lower. Suddenly, there's some people on their knees. And then everyone's on their knees. And then, then their, their faces are to the ground, worshiping the Lord. And we start to see this picture that they're kind of slowly getting, getting crushed by the word. That it, the weight of it is bearing down upon them. And they start to see that if God is so holy and so perfect and so majestic, then they are not. And it's, it's a painful process for them. Until, verse 9 Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. That the priest, the priest is responsible. You, as priests, are responsible for bringing the word to people. But you can crush people with that word. 
that that word is incredibly convicting. And it shows us how we failed. And it, it shows the, the people who have returned from exile that they're not very good worshipers. And that they were exiled because they were idolaters. And ran after false gods. And worshipped in the wrong way. And worshipped themselves ultimately. And the result is that the people start to weep. And cry out. And suddenly they're not worshipping anymore. We have to be careful with the word. That if we're going to bring the word, we can't just bring the, the raw word and crush people with it. That there's no joy in that. And people end up not worshiping. They end up feeling, feeling judged and oppressed and sorrowful by something that should bring great joy. And so, Ezra has to kind of change his tactic a little bit. Look at verse 10. In response to their weeping, he says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Alright. Eat the fat. Eat the fat. This is a great commandment. What does that mean? Alright, if you don't know what this means, you, you haven't been eating good meat. Alright, so, so, what's a good steak? You don't want a lean steak. You want, you want a, the fat marbled through the steak. So every bite is kind of has fat woven into it. Because the fat's where the taste is. The fat's the good stuff. I remember, I remember in college we would, we would dare each other to like, we made this ham one time and we were just like eating the straight fat, me and my, me and my roommates. And it was, it was great. It was delicious. The fat is where the, where the, the flavor is. You don't eat it because it's healthy. You eat it because it's fun to eat and because it's delicious. All right? That's what they're saying here. Like, go, go eat the fat. Usually the Israelites weren't even, like, allowed to eat the fat because, like, too indulgent. But they're, they're eating it. Second, go drink sweet wine. Now, there's a, a pet peeve of mine that people, conservative, conservative Christians oftentimes make wine in the Bible. They say, like, oh, it's a, it's a health thing. They couldn't drink the water, so, so they had to purify the water through wine. That's not what this is. This is wine that tastes good. And this is wine that is enjoyable. And they're drinking it for the enjoyment of it. Plain and simple. No way around that. All right, this is, this is a fun time. Third, third, they're supposed to make sure that no one's left out. That everyone gets to enjoy this together even those who haven't prepared, even those who don't have the resources to enjoy it. Now, why is this Ezra's response to the people's weeping? Now, there's, there's two main reasons. First, first he says, for this day is holy. This day is holy. So it's a holy day of worship. And Ezra's basically saying that if you're going to keep it holy... You need to have a party. Because you're actually ruining the holiness of this worship day by weeping. Oh, no, that, that's actually that's a pretty exciting prospect. That we, we can keep something holy by having a party and celebrating it. And rejoicing and having fun. And just, just basking in the blessings of God. 
I think there's something that we can learn from that. That we can actually be holier by rejoicing in God than in kind of having reverent awe or in repentant sorrow. That actually the worship of the Lord centers around joy and celebration. And it makes us think that as we come here into this place, we are called to rejoice. And we're called to celebrate. And someone who's, who's really holy knows that this is a place of joy. And comes to worship the Lord in great joy. And with much rejoicing. Now that's convicting. Because we, we have to have hearts that are ready to worship. If we're going to be like that. And we keep the day holy by doing so. Alright, so, so Ezra has, has the people throw a party so that they keep the day holy. Do not profane it with their sorrow. And second, second, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What is he saying there? He's basically saying that if you're going to worship, joy is going to be the way you're going to do it. That the power behind worship comes from joy. It doesn't come from guilt. It doesn't come from shame. It doesn't come from duty. It doesn't come from sorrow. It doesn't come from great repentance. Now worship, worship is sourced in joy. And that's where Ezra is actually protecting the hearts of the people. That the people were exiled because they disconnected obedience from joy. They were doing the right things, but weren't actually doing it with a worshipful heart. They didn't enjoy doing it. They were just doing it out of obligation. And so Ezra is stopping the people and saying, no, don't, don't focus on the duty of it. Focus on the joy of it. The joy of knowing God. The joy of obeying him. The joy of worshiping him. Because only then are you going to be able to do it. You're going to be excited to worship and glorify him. And you're actually going to obey, not because you have to, but because you get to. Look at verse 11. Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing. Because they'd understood the words that were declared for them. Alright, so I want to ask you guys. If you're struggling to obey, if you're struggling to worship, what do you do? And not like, what should you do? What do you do? Do you feel guilty about it? Do you try to like, oh, my heart is so bad, I, I'm a terrible sinner. That's not going to help you worship. We're supposed to foster joy. The joy that is found in worshiping God. And the joy of, of knowing him. The joy of, of being in his presence. The joy of being in the body of believers. That we focus on the joy, not, not on the sorrow. And I would ask you then, the, sec the follow-up to that is, when you're trying to motivate people, and you're trying to encourage people. How do you find yourself encouraging them? 
or motivating them. I think the church, the church is often really good at, at guilting people into doing things <laughs> or shaming people into doing things or, uh, or judging them into doing things. Now, as priests, we all are responsible for protecting people's joy and fostering people's joy so that they're not obeying out of duty, but out of a love for the Lord. And you can tell when someone's working out of joy or working out of duty. You can tell that joy brings a certain kind of energy and an excitement and a willingness to go above and beyond. You can see it in the, in the eyes of the person. That if they're truly joyful, they're, it just flows out of them. And when we see people who are doing things out of duty, as priests, we need to protect them from that and remind them of, of the joy of, of worshiping God and knowing him, the joy of being in his presence, the joy of, of knowing this God personally who is so holy and, and majestic and yet has come to have a relationship with us. That's, that's how we empower people to worship is by fostering their joy. All right, but mm, shall I get into that? I'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. For for Ezra, it, this is a it's kind of an odd solution, honestly. To it's a very physical aspect to it. Like, okay, so go 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 eat fat fatty foods and and drink wine and go have fun together. Um, but there is a physical element to this. That like doing that isn't bad. And Jesus, Jesus understood that. When Jesus came, Jesus came turning water into wine and eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And when he talked about the Sabbath, he, he talked about the Sabbath as a, a chance to have joy and, and rejoice in the Lord and do things that were, were off limits, but that Jesus saw as worship. Um, and that's where, that's where Jesus does stand against the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they, they have all these rules and they've killed the worship of it. And Jesus restores the, the joy of worshiping God, the joy of the Sabbath, the joy of, of obeying God. But, but, uh, you'll notice that that's, the solution of saying just go, go and be joyful is a little superficial. Because the people, they have a real reason to be sorrowful. They, they don't worship God as they should. And their hearts are evil. And this God that they see that they, they know they should love, they don't obey. And we have to admit that when we do read the word, when we are called to worship, we don't do a great job of it. That oftentimes it's hard to read the Bible without going away feeling sorrowful. And it's hard to come and worship and see like, oh, my heart, my heart isn't in this. Or I, I wish I could worship more passionately than I am. And that's where we need something bigger than just saying, 
Go, go and be joyful. And we need something better than just saying, well, you just need to have a party now. Because what, we, when we don't feel joyful, like just eat more red meat and, and drink more wine. Uh, that's, that's a solution that some people try and it doesn't make them very happy. And that's where, that's where we get this, this final duty. The priest helps people worship by reminding them of the grace of God. The grace of God. And that's where the, the, the last part of the story has, has a little bit of humor to it because it seems like Ezra and his, his priest's kind of posse, they go back the next day after the party and they start reading the, reading the Bible. They start reading the word and they realize that, oh, there's already a party that was supposed to be happening right now that we forgot about. There's actually the Feast of Booths. So look at, look at thir- verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Remember, it's, it's the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olives, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. All right, so what do we see here? Ezra had the right idea. He like knew that the people needed to be celebrating. They needed to be joyful. But he didn't, he didn't know his Bible that well. And he didn't realize God had planned a party into the schedule that the people were supposed to remember and rejoice in their salvation every single year at this same time. And it's called the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths, it's a, it's a harvest party in one sense. It's during the time of the harvest, so uh, it would have had all the food and the wine and the rejoicing. But there's a second part to it, where everyone, they go to Jerusalem and they build tents or booths out of, tree, out of branches and such, and they live in tents for the week. They live in tents for the week. Now that's how, that's how God planned it, and it's a better party. It's a better party because it's a little more meaningful. It's not just a party for the sake of having a party. It's, it's a reminder. It's a reminder all, all the way back when to, to the exodus that the people were enslaved in Egypt and God freed them and he delivered them not because they were exceedingly righteous but because God is very gracious and because he loves his people and he saves them and he delivers them and he doesn't want to see them enslaved and he gave the people a reason to worship that they worship because of the grace of the salvation of their God. That's what the Feast of Booths was all about. And that's what the people needed. They needed to see the salvation of God once again. That they are weighed down by, by the law, by the holiness of God. And they'd missed the grace of it. And so that, that's what the priest ultimately does. The priest reminds the people to worship because God is gracious. He is gracious and he is a savior and he has mercy. Now what does that mean for us? 
that means that, that you as priests are responsible for reminding people of the grace of God. But we're not looking back to the exodus. We're looking back to the cross. The cross. Oh, it's not here. I always point to it. It's not there. <laughs> we're looking to the cross. The cross is what we remind people of. Because Jesus Christ, he died. He died as the great priest. As actually the, the great sacrifice of the priest. And he died because we are so bad at worshiping. And he died because our hearts are broken. And he died for that sin. He died for the idolatry. He died for the fact that we don't love God as we should. And in that, he, he released us. He paid the price. And then when he rose again from the dead, he freed us. He gave us life. He gave us a, a true source of joy. That we, we will not pay for the consequences of our, of our shoddy worship. That we will not be judged for it. That we have been saved. That is why we have joy. We have a true source of joy. It's not, it's not just this, let's throw wine and, wine and food at it until it goes away. No, we, we throw Christ at it. And we realize that we have, we have true joy. Joy that we have been delivered. And we have the true joy that, that there is a greater joy to come. We remember the fact that, that through Jesus and because of Jesus, we will feast in the new heavens and new earth. We will drink wine with Christ. We will eat the choice meats with him. We will fellowship together. Kind of as one man. Equal. Rejoicing the blessings of God together. And we get to do that because we drank the wine of God's blood. We drank Christ's blood itself. We ate God's flesh and we have fellowship in him. I wish we were doing communion today. We are not. But that's our joy. That we have had that feast and we will have the feast to come. And every time that we, we feast together, I'm thinking of the potluck, like we rehearse this in a sense. That this is our joy that we together get to come and enjoy the blessings of one another, the blessings of God but ultimately the blessings of Christ and his grace. So what do you do? Go be joyful. I hope that's not too burdensome for you. To go be joyful. Go be joyful. Go enjoy God. Help others to rejoice. Protect other people's joy. Speak of the word of God and speak of the grace that he has had for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do not worship you as we, we ought to. You are deserving of it. You, you are holy. You are beautiful. You are gracious. And Father, our, our hearts are exceedingly wicked that we would not worship you with all of our being. But Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have sent 
the high priest, Jesus Christ, as our sacrifice. To die that, that our bad worship might be good in you. Father, thank you that you give us joy by, by tasting your blood and eating your body and living through you. We ask that you would send us out as, as true priests, full of the joy of Christ and, and offering that joy and worship to others. We pray this in Christ's name.